Thanks. So I am going to be holding my phone. It's not that I'm going to be kind of checking Facebook and that kind of stuff. It's just I've got my notes here, but I also like moving. So I'm going to do both. It's like This is like a kind of a godly multi-screening thing, which is good. Hello. Um, it's good to be back here. I love being at PHCC. It's good seeing faces that I've not actually seen before. It's like... Uh, you visitors or what but it's just because there's people that are normally mornings it's weird so but hey um hi um it's good to see you um you guys have been talking about james haven't you i hope good excellent um has that been a challenge has it been tough have you learned stuff that's new and all that kind of stuff james is a hard book to read it's a really hard book to read and um so James 5, we're coming into land, right? This is like the end bit of James. Um, and uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like, chapter 5, it's kind of like James ran out of time. It's like, oh, I've got so much to say, but I've only got one chapter left. He wouldn't have done that because it was a letter. But he was like, it was like, it was like I'm going to go out, um, I've you know, got, got the dinner to do, whatever. And James 5 is kind of like, and another thing, and another thing. Oh, and this, and that. Oh, yeah, and I've, before I forget, that as well. Oh, and oaths, and those stuff, and money, bad rich people, naughty, be persistent, prayer. And it's like, what the chuff? Where do you start with James 5? There's so much in it. Um, but we'll get onto that in a minute. Um, I've been married nearly nine years come on, um, <coughs> which is really scary. Um, and uh, I met my wife when we both joined a band um, for uh, working for the Salt Mine Trust. And um, we got to know each other kind of while we were driving up and down the country in a van. So I was the only person old enough to drive the van and she got really car sick, uh, travel sick. So the others used to sit in the back of the van and sleep and me and her used to be up front. So we used to chat. I was like, all right, how you doing? How are you doing? It was cool. Um, so it was kind of, <laughs> she was like, back off um, she really was um, but we used to talk we talked for ages and she used to get bored and travel stick still because my driving's terrible even though she was in the front so we used to tell her stories we used to make up stories on the spot we used to do all this kind of stuff and like we did this for about a year and um, and uh, kind of like as a sideline to the story right? I'd been through a whole bunch of relationships where I just kind of jumped in <laughs> yeah she likes me <laughs> kind of thing and like and that kind of stuff yeah no, really nice image isn't it brilliant um, and like yeah she doesn't hate me get her digits it was kind of like that so I was kind of jump, jumped into relationships really really quickly without kind of thinking about it but also after the last one of those relationships ended I decided that actually God I really want to fall in love with a friend I want to fall in love with someone who knows me, right? I want to fall in love with someone who kind of gets me and knows me uh, as a friend first. I want to just like go <laughs> zing one day to this friend, kind of like. And uh, But I was still playing it really wrong. And actually, unbeknown to me, I was getting to know Ruth really well and becoming really good friends with her on the road in that year. And then all of a sudden, it was like the scales in a real biblical fashion were taken off my eyes by my mate saying to me, how in what way is she not the perfect woman for you? And I went, duh, <laughs> no wonder. Yeah, kind of like, it was almost like God said, yeah, she's the one for you. And, uh, but it, like, kind of like the story, so I, I kind of like had to wait um, for a year to find the person, because I'm dumb, to find the person who realised it was going to be the, the best person for me. And then we kind of, Went out like for five years. Um, 
But actually, before, even before that, I had to wait five months before she'd even let me hold her hand or kiss her because she wanted to make sure. So she was like, we're going to pray about this. Okay, we're going to pray about it. I know that we like each other. It was like, we're going to pray about this. It was like June. And then we got together the New Year's Eve. It's like, <laughs> come on. For like five and a half, six months before she let me anywhere near her. It was amazing, like just for her to check. So um, it was good just checking that she was well in on that. And then... Uh, so we've been married nine years, and we, we had to wait like three and a half, four years, five years even until we could get pregnant. We had to wait loads. So I kind of feel like for someone who hasn't been able to wait for anything and jumped in really quick, um, God made me wait for the thing that really mattered. God made me wait for the, for the thing that was re- really in purpose in my life, i.e. the person I was going to marry. God kind of like said, ah, no, you need to wait a little bit. You need to wait a little bit. James 5 is about patience. There's loads of stuff. In fact, actually, no. Let's be honest. James 5 is about a whole bunch of stuff. Right. In one chapter, this is only like 20 verses. In one chapter, James covers the love of money, corruption, patience, courage, conflict with others, suffering, persistence, taking oaths, prayer, healing, forgiveness of sin, backsliders, and restoration. In 20 verses. Like, what? I mean, that's how good this book is, right? That's how good these writers are. That's why it made into the Bible. That's why it made it in there. Because in 20 verses, he covers all of that stuff. That's bonkers. So we could, like, feast just on this chapter forever, and we'd be pretty sorted. If this was the only chapter we found, if this was the only bit of Scripture that we had, actually, we'd be all right with James 5. All right, that's why I think this, this uh, verse is important, all right? So to help us to understand all of those, we're going to take about half an hour, 45 minutes on each one, if that's all right. And we're going to, no, I'm just joking. Right, no, we're not. We're going to look at three, okay? And um, it's funny, isn't it? The whole thing on patience and persistence, I, I spoke on waiting once here, and that one took an hour <laughs> just on waiting. And it's funny, we're talking about patience and persistence now, and this one could take at least three or four. So bed in, guys. Ah, patience and persistence. Right, should we read it, yeah? Um, James 5. We go from verse 7. Um, uh, Tom's going to chuck it up on screen for us if you don't mind, mate. Because the first bit, the first six ones are just a rebuke on ri- to rich people. It's like, oi, rich people, you're, you're really rich and we don't like you. That's not what it says. But there's, it kind of feels like that at face value, but there's loads in there. We have to unpack it really carefully to understand what he's saying to rich people. He's not saying, oi, I don't like you because you're rich and nor does God. It's actually saying, actually, because you're rich, you've not looked after what God has given you properly. You've relied on your riches too much and you've not got any room for God in your life. But that's not for today. That's what I don't think. I don't think God's got that for me to speak to you today. So we're going to move from verse 7 onwards, if that's all right. So it says this, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble, against one another brothers and sisters or you will be judged the judge is standing at the door brothers and sisters as an example of patience in your in the face of suffering take the prophets who spoke in the name of the lord as you know we count as blessed those who have persevered you've heard of job's perseverance and have seen that the lord finally brought about what the lord finally brought about the lord is full of compassion and mercy above all my brothers and sisters do not swear Not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you'll be condemned. 
Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well and the Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if, you, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. And that's the end of the letter. Right. There's so much in there. There's loads in there. But what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about patience, persistence, and prayer. Because I like that they're all beginning with P and it's easy to remember, okay? Patience, persistence, and prayer. So James finishes his letter in the same way that he kind of started it. If you look back at James 1, verse 3, which might be up here as well. Um, he says, for you, uh, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. And then he says it again yeah, in, ch- in chapter 5. Be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who wait patiently in the field. And he cracks on. So he's kind of, kind of bookending the whole letter with be patient. Like endure, stick at it, stick at it. Like the whole the whole of this letter, let's get a bit of context first, right? A bit of context is that James isn't talking to people who are comfortable, although he talks, does speak, he addresses the rich Jews first. The context is this, right? He's speaking to Jewish people who are now Christians. Okay? These are also Jewish people who are now Christians who have been dispersed because of persecution. Okay, these are people who have been run out of town. They are split up. They've seen Stephen, like the, Stephen, the first Christian martyr. It's around that time that he's writing the letter. So they've seen Stephen or heard about Stephen who was martyred for the faith. So they have scattered. These guys have made the choice to follow Jesus and now they are in big trouble. So James is writing to these people. Um, so everything that James is saying here is in the context of persecution. Right? A lot of the, the, old, the New Testament is about that. A lot of the New Testament is kind of its letters written under the wire, in secret, sent out in secret to people who are in hiding because they follow Jesus. Right? These are people in trouble because they're getting their butts kicked for loving Jesus. Okay, that's, that's the whole context of this scripture. So when, Jesus kind of, when, Jesus, when James says, like, dear brothers, be patient as you wait for the Lord to return. These people are in real angst. They're in real trouble. So when, when James is saying, be patient, he's not saying it lightly. He's not like saying, like, be patient for the weekend. He's like saying, be patient because Jesus will rescue you. He will rescue you. He will do that. So, it says, we give great honour to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see the Lord was kind to him and at the end, and for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. But we're like, what do we want? Patience! When do we want it? Now! 
And I, I remember the first time I asked God for patience and I got really impatient asking him for patience. Like I got really impatient because, because I am a naturally impatient person. I want stuff now. But as Christians, we need to understand that God has something to teach us about waiting. See, the church grows when we're under pressure. Okay, like the whole thing of suffering and endurance and patience under, under pressure and under persecution. You could ask the question, yeah, but why are these guys under pressure in the first place? Surely following Jesus uh, is a good thing, right? Surely Jesus is going to rescue us. He's our rescuers. He's our rescuer, right? But actually the history, history of the church would be the church grows the most when it's under pressure, when it's being persecuted. The fastest growing churches are always those places in pockets where they're being persecuted, where they're getting hated. It's funny that, isn't it? Like where people try and stamp the church out, that's where it grows the most. So actually we can take heart. If we're feeling any kind of persecution or any kind of pressure because of our faith, because we are Christians, because we're standing up for Jesus, guess what? That's, that feels like kingdom. That kind of sounds a bit like the kingdom of God. That kind of sounds a bit like, like Jesus, like Jesus' church. There's a great video. I can't even remember what he's called. There's this great rabbi, this Jewish rabbi, and he talks, he talks in these brilliant ways, but he talks about um, a, a lobster. Has anyone, has anyone um, posh enough eat lobs, eaten lobster lately? Nice one, John. Just, just just a few people. I can't do fish. I can't can't do like seafood and fish. Can't do it. Don't know why. But yeah, yeah. But anyway, he talks about the lobster, right? And he and he says like the lo- the lobster is uncomfortable. I'm not going to do a Jewish accent. That's really offensive. I'm not going to do that. But he says <laughs> the lobster is uncomfortable. Eh. No, just, that's terrible, Pete. All right, so stop. Just stop. Pete. Right, so anyway, so he talks about the lobster getting uncomfortable. Like when when he knows it's time to shed his shell. He gets uncomfortable because it because it he, he can't fit in it anymore and he can't move the way he was. And what he does when he gets too in, like when he gets too big for his shell, he finds a place under a rock to shed the shell. And then he sheds that shell and waits under the rock until the new shell forms around his slightly larger, bigger body. Thing is though. If he wasn't feeling uncomfortable, if there was no such thing as pain and feeling uncomfortable, he wouldn't know when to share his shell. He'd be comfortable where he was and he would never grow. It's an interesting analogy that actually the church, if we are comfortable where we are, we will never grow because we don't need to. We don't need to share Jesus. We don't need to. We can just sit where we are, thank you very much, and wait for heaven. I've not seen anywhere in the Bible that says, once we become a Christian, all we do is sit here and wait for heaven. That ain't scripture. Actually, what we're meant to be doing is sharing Jesus with people, taking those risks. And it's when we're under pressure, when we're under fire, those are the times where Jesus comes to us the most. And that's what James is kind of saying here. Verse 12, But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. It's a really odd thing to be in there. It's really an odd thing. What? He's talking about pressure and perseverance and patience and all that stuff. And then he suddenly talks about don't take an oath, like don't swear. And it's not swearing like naughty words. It's swearing like I swear I will do that for you. I swear by, by the earth that I walk and the air that I breathe that I will do that. It's that kind of like swearing an oath, a pact, making a promise based on something else, saying I swear I will do this. I swear I'll do this for you. Or I swear if you do this for me, I will do that for you. 
So James is saying, don't do that. Yeah, yes, be yes, and no, be no. Kind of like quoting Jesus directly. So Jesus said that. Be straight with your words. You don't need to swear. You don't need to create an oath. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Why is that there? That's interesting. Why is it there in the context of patience and perseverance? Well, I don't know about you, but when you're under pressure, are you willing to compromise? I know I've been willing to compromise sometimes when I'm under pressure. Like when, when, when it feels really hard, when you know you're going the course, but you feel the pressure and then all of a sudden, I can't do this and actually feel like you need to bow out. In context right here, and this is the cool thing, in context, actually the Jews, the, the Jews loved, and the Pharisees particularly loved to swear oaths. They used to love to create bonds of varying different degrees so they could look pious and holy, but actually they could continue living fairly hypocritical lives. So when you put it in that context, actually that when we get desperate, do we start making false promises or making oaths or bargaining with God? That was the other thing. And when it gets tough, God, if you rescue me from this situation, I will. God, if you do this for me, then I promise I'll God, if you rescue me from this situation, then I'll always do this. That's an oath. So in this context, it starts to make a bit more sense. But actually, what James is saying is, uh -uh, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Stay the course. Be persistent. Be patient. So let's talk about persistence a little bit more, or spiritual stamina, as I like to call it. How many people have, like, have maybe taken that step and said, can I pray for you? And the guy's gone, no. And you go, like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then that's it. <laughs> that's the last time you've ever asked them. Like, like you've made that step. You're like, oh, man, I really want to pray for them, mate. I really want to pray for them because I know they're going through it and I know Jesus could really help them. I know Jesus loves them. I'm going to ask them to pray. I'm going to ask him if I can pray for them. Can I pray for you? No, you can't, actually, no. Okay. And that's it. That's the last time it's ever spoken of. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. Keep on persisting. Keep on persisting. Keep on persisting. See, like, it's the first hit and we run. Like, like the first hit and we run out of the ring. <laughs> but, like, unlike Rocky... I mean, I'm an old school, so I watch the Rocky films. I'm sure there's a whole bunch of other films that have replaced Rocky for this analogy. Yeah, but Rocky just kept on going. I know it's Hollywood. I know it's rubbish. Like, he would have got knocked out by one shot by Drago or whatever his name was. Like, he would not have survived that. But in Hollywood, he just kept on going. He refused to throw in the towel. He refused to give up. He just kept on going. See, Jesus once challenged his disciples, telling them it's hard for the rich to enter God's kingdom. And his disciples were shocked, right? Uh, to them, the rich were blessed, successful, and loved by God. And they asked, if not them, then who? Jesus replied, with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. It's such an amazing verse. Matthew 19, 26, Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You know the reason why you need to keep on persisting? It's because you're not on your work, you're on God's work. You're on God's time, not your own. We're going to talk about prayer again in a minute. There's something different when we're doing stuff for the kingdom. And I don't mean kind of like, like doing stuff for yourself, for your own self-gratification or your own desires. When you're on the kingdom business... 
when you're on God's work, we need to keep on persisting. Keep on praying. Keep on doing it. Be bold. Be persistent. Keep on asking them if they want prayer. Keep on doing it. Because if you're there and you're always available, they know it's there if they need it. It can get a bit annoying. Don't be annoying. Don't be awkward and annoying. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. I want to... I'd, I'd hate that. Just, just no. Just be sensitive with it. Be sensitive with it. But keep on asking. Keep on offering prayer. Keep on offering help. Say, look, I really want to pray for you. It doesn't have to be now. It doesn't have to be weird. I can pray for you on my own, in my room later on, whatever. But I really feel like God could help you. I really feel God loves you and he wants to help you through it. Just keep on offering that kind of love and that kind of help with your mates. And I, Honestly, honestly, it does work. It really does work. I'm going to tell you a story. I work for Open Doors. Um, um, I'm a youth manager for Open Doors. And Open Doors is an organisation which helps to look after people all around the globe who are persecuted because of their faith. So effectively, there are, loads of, there are millions of Christians all over the world who live in a country that the government is either not Christian or is atheist or in whatever way... Christians get the raw deal. And what, what I mean by that is up to the point where they get thrown into concentration camps if they're found with a single bit of scripture. So there are Christians in North Korea um, who, they on North Korea, operate a three-generational punishment system. So if you are found out to be a Christian, not only you get punished, but your kids and your kids' kids. So what happens is, is that parents are not even allowed to tell their kids about Jesus. Because if their parents don't tell their kids about Jesus, it means that their kids can't go to school and say, we've got a Bible at home. And then the whole family gets thrown into concentration camps. They think it's around 70,000. Actually, it's probably closer to 85,000 Christians at the moment are in hard labour camps, concentration camps, where they go out, break rock, come back. Go out, break rock, come back. Until they don't go out anymore. And they're thrown away. They're like tools. It happens all over the world just because of their faith, just because they've chosen to follow Jesus. And in China, in the 80s, it it was fairly similar. China itself has changed a lot. And the, the, the reason why China has changed a lot, I believe, is because of the work of this one woman. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to read it from here. Mama Kwama, which is like the best name ever for a start. Mama Kwama came, um, what she did was, um, in the late 70s, early 80s, Uh, She knew the tide was turning in China. She felt it. There was an underground church network in China. At that point, China was was like North Korea is now. But she asked Brother Andrew, who's the guy who kind of founded Open Doors, the charity that I work for, um, uh, and his team to send her 35,000 New Testaments to help spread the good news about Jesus. By send, you don't do that by the post. You have to smuggle them in. Okay, So you have to smuggle 35,000 New Testaments into a country that will kill you if they find them. So um, she was told, quite rightly, maybe or sanely, by Open Doors, no, it can't be done. Um, But then she says... Actually, you pray and we pray and God will make it happen. And it did happen. Of the 35,000 New Testaments smuggled over the border in 60 suitcases by 30 volunteers, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, not one New Testament went missing. They all went to different Christians and it was spread all over the country. Mama Kwame came back to Brother Andrew after that with a new request. Uh, One million Bibles, please. Impossible, came the reply, directly from Brother Andrew. Nuh-uh, can't do it, can't do it. 
You know what Mama Kwama said? Um, that's right. She said, you pray and we will pray. God will make it happen. And during one night in 1981, one million Bibles were secretly delivered by boat to a beach in China overnight. Those Bibles have been responsible for helping hundreds of thousands of Chinese Christians come to know Jesus and grow in their faith. One pastor has said that those Bibles helped to lay a solid foundation for a large and strong church today in China, all because one lady prayed the impossible. Incredible. One woman said, nah, I ain't giving up. I'm not giving up because you've said no. And she played the prayer card, which is good, first off. I'm just going to pray about it. If you don't want to pray, it's fine, but I'm going to pray about it. And then she just dropped, come on, pray about it. It will happen. She knew that God was doing something. She, was, she knew that God was doing something in her country. I can't tell you how tough this was. We can look back now at China with a very strong church. It's not perfect at all. It's not a perfect church at all. Government has its sticky fingers over everything, and it's quite hard to do church in China without the government getting involved. But hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people have become Christians because of one woman's persistence. She didn't want to give up. One million Bibles overnight. You pray. We'll pray. God will make it happen. So let's talk about prayer then. So we've said patience, persistence, and now prayer. So when Ruth and I were going out, we spent um, four years out of the five years going out um, apart, which is probably why we stayed together, because she would have probably dumped me um, if we'd have been in the same place. But four out of five years, because she went off to university and I went down to Torquay and we were working in different places. So we were communicating in, in, in different ways and we were living apart. But we spoke every single night on the phone for a long time. Like long conversations. We stayed on the phone while we were cooking, eating. Like we just had the phone on the whole time while we were doing stuff, doing the washing. Just So it was like we were... together but not together so it wasn't like a kind of conversation how's your day love it was kind of like just the phone was on and we talk if we needed to there'd be 10-15 minutes of silence sometimes whatever we just had the phone on so we were there we were talking as as and when like brushing teeth which is awkward when you're trying to talk on the phone getting into bed um if you ever tried that it's brilliant i love it i try and have a conversation with my four-year-old at the moment while brushing our teeth and we just laugh and spray toothpaste everywhere all over the bathroom it's great fun but you should try it it's good um (laughs) clear it up afterwards it's not good if you don't um but um more than once me and my wife would fall asleep we'd fall we'd be on the phone we'd fall asleep all the time like to just because we were in each other's presence and we just kind of like we'd carry on chatting when we were in bed and we'd fall asleep what we didn't do was give a list like a clinical list of things like today was successful, I went to work, I came back from work, I ate lobster, concerned about the bill, thanks, bye. We didn't do that. See, prayer, I know you've probably heard it before, prayer is like a conversation. It is a continuous conversation. It's not a clinical transaction. It's not like, God, I'm worried about this. God, can you do this? God, I hate that. God, that's rubbish. God, I'm sorry. See you later, bye. It's like a consistent continuous relationship a continuous conversation and James in here says pray without ceasing keep on praying he says pray for this bring people just pray for them if people are ill and sick and they need healing pray for them keep praying he knows the power of prayer prayer without ceasing prayer for the long term see prayer isn't a get fixed quick magic trick I love that say that again prayer isn't a quick fix quick fix 
A get fixed quick magic trick. There you go. A get fixed quick magic trick. It's not that. Prayer is a long time, full time, full term conversation with God. Consistent and persistent prayer is the secret, I believe, to unlocking persistence and patience in your life. If you can get prayer down as a persistent and a patient thing, actually persistence and, and patience will be added. It kind of makes sense. It's not, this isn't like a, a weird spiritual trickery thing. This is like, if you persist at this one thing, you learn how to persist in other things. And actually prayer, if prayer is your communication with God and we want to try to create persistence and patience in our faith, in our relationship with God, then it starts with prayer, right? So almost even prayer is the third one. This is almost like the linchpin for the other two. If we get persistence and patience in prayer, right? And I mean by that, not praying one prayer and then when we don't see it answered, stopping. Keep on praying. Who's off of the 90s? Who remembers the push wristbands? Does anyone remember the pray until something happened bands. You can get them in dusty old boxes at the bottom of fe- um, like festival stands or in, in kind of Bible bookshops. They still sell them because they think they're relevant still. Like, but off the 90s, we had those pray until something happens and it was, there was all this kerfuffle. Oh, we don't do that. What if we're praying for the wrong thing and all that? Cause the, the thing is, just pray. <laughs> just pray. Just keep on in conversation with God. Keep talking to him. Keep waiting, allowing him to talk to you. Keep making the decision to put your phone down and have that five, ten minutes of downtime and allow God to speak into your life. Keep doing that every day when you can. Build that into your relationship. Build that into your week that we can carry on, that we can carry on conversing with God. Keep going. Keep trying it. Yes, that prayer hasn't been answered. Pray it again. Pray it again. I tell you what, it's not futile because God answers prayer. He does. But he wants a relationship with us. He wants to communicate with us. He's not just some sugar daddy. He's not a genie. He's not like a guy that says, yeah, all right, and there's no relationship. He wants a relationship with us, man. This is long-haul stuff. Prayer is not about you. It's not. Rick Warren, at the start of his book, Purpose Driven Life, says this, he says, it's not about you. Right at the start of the book, that's the first line. Jesus said this to his disciples, if any of you want to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it, but if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? If anything worth more, is anything worth more than your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Because like, I know that I've prayed selfish prayers before. Prayers that benefit me. And I know that when things go wrong in my life, the first thing I want to do is pray and ask God to sort out me. But actually, we are kingdom people. We are community people. We are people who should be praying for each other first. You know, there's this principle about true community that if you commit to having others' backs, you know that your back is also covered. Yeah? If you commit to having everyone else's backs in this room, you know your back is automatically covered. More than just by you. Your back is automatically right now covered by 30 other people. That's powerful. 
But the minute we start trying to cover our own backs and try and solve our own problems and pray our own selfish prayers, that's where community breaks down. But Jesus has got a different model. It's called church. It's the beautiful picture of community. When we pray, let's pray for each other. Let's pray for each other. We know that we've got people in our community who need healing. We've prayed once, twice, six times. It hasn't happened. Let's pray 20 times. Let's pray 100 times. Let's pray 500 times for that person to be healed. Let's do it. Let's pray those bold prayers. Let's be persistent. Let's be consistent. Let's be patient. Let's pray without ceasing. So, I believe that prayer changes things. I, pr- I believe that prayer plugs us into what God is doing around the globe. The people in the persecuted church, one pastor that I had the privilege of speaking to who came from Nigeria, his church, when he inherited his church, had 500 people in it. And then Boko Haram came in and within a month, it was decimated. There was no church left. Um, his church was one of those, fr- those frontline churches where those, those ladies, the girls had disappeared, never been found again. Um, his community bore the brunt of that. Um, his church is back up to 200 now. But they live in the knowledge that they know that any time, this day could be their last. At any time. At any time. Twice or three times, um, the uh, militant militia, um, the Islamic militant militia have targeted his street because they know who he is. And instead of just targeting one house, they target them all. And they do it at night. And they destroy the families and move to the next house, destroy the families, move to the next house, destroy the families because they know he might be there. Doing it to try and stop him and break him. He hasn't been there both times they've done it. They're doing it to try and break him. It's illegal to... Ha- to um, uh, there are no such thing as a license for a new church now. You can't do it. You can't build a new church there. And they're throwing all the pastors into jail in Nigeria but he said your prayers are like a wall of fire around me your prayers are like a wall of fire around us those, those kind of computer nerds around know what a firewall is you know how important a firewall is around your network it's exactly that it's a wall of fire that cannot be penetrated <laughs> in theory but this pastor says your prayers for us are like a wall of fire he knows He knows the power of prayer. He knows how powerful prayer is when other people pray for him in his situation because he feels it. He's felt it and he's felt the deliverance of God and he's felt the power of the prayer of the church all around the globe praying for them. Prayer works. Prayer matters. So, to uh, coming to land then, just about to give on that dream that you've had for, for ages. Be patient. Be persistent. And pray without ceasing. You want to see this building packed? Be patient, be persistent, pray without ceasing. You want that relationship to be restored, that one that you know is that that cut in your heart that you know needs to be restored. Be patient, be persistent, pray without ceasing. You want that friend who abandoned their faith and you want them so desperately to come back to the Lord again. Be patient, be persistent, pray without ceasing. This book of James 
It's a tough book. It's a harsh book. It's a hard book to read because it's not fluffy and nice and Jesus loves you. It's a hard one because actually life can get tough and get difficult. That's the point. But you know what? Even when life gets tough and difficult, I'm so glad that we have books like James in Scripture to help us through those things, to put us back on course when we need it. So I challenge you. That thing that you thought was lost, you think that, that, you, that thing that you thought was over, was finished, the thing that you've prayed for before and it hasn't worked, be persistent, be patient, and pray without ceasing. God bless you guys. I love PHCC. I love what you're doing. Just keep on keeping on. Let's do this together, yeah?